Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Be Good and Rewatch It, a Waypoint podcast where we take a close look at movies and television and examine their themes, craft, and relationship to our own times. This week, our feelings will not be repressed. You must allow <laughs> us to tell you how ardently we admire and love Jane Austen in the 1995 BBC adaptation of Pride and Prejudice, particularly their game-changing third and fourth episodes. But first, I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and I'm joined for this trip down memory lane by Danielle Riendo. Good day, sir. Natalie Watson. I thought you were going to go to Austin first, and I took a big sip, but hi. <laughs> sir. <laughs> <laughs> and back from his tour of the Lake District, we have <laughs> Austin Walker. You, the estates out there, let me tell you, they change your mind on some things. Oh, yeah? Uh-huh. I, I, uh, Rob, are you sure that's how you want to profess your love to this to this series? Because the last time I heard someone profess their love with those words, it did not go so well. I mean, that's that is very true. Nevertheless, uh, I think it does. I think it does capture the tensions of these episodes. Mm, yes. Mm. Uh, you just you just got to get it out there. Can I? It's can too I, ardent. Can I set something up really quick? Which is. Yeah. So I wasn't on the first episode of this, which, mm-hmm. by the way, <laughs> took three days to record and <laughs> multiple configurations. And the reason I wasn't on it at all was one, I was out for on vacation. Yeah. But two, I'd come back and you still hadn't finished the episode. So I could have snuck in, except something happened, which is I thought we were going to do, I thought we were going to do episodes four, five, and I thought we were going to do one, two, three, and four, five, six, two episodes total of the, of, of be good. Rewatch it. So did we, I know. <laughs> and so I thought I'd be on the second set of episodes. So I wa- having just watched this series back in November, I said, I'll just do a light refresher on the second set of episodes four, five, and six. So I watched episodes four, five, and six before I came back from vacation. Mm-hmm. You said, I've only watched episodes one. We've only done episodes, we're sorry, watch, we've only done an episode on episode one so far. We haven't even gotten episode two yet. So I said, okay, that's fine. I'll let you do that. But in my mind, I'd still thought that you were going to do one through three as like a chunk. So then over the weekend, I realized, no, we're going to do three and four next, which means I've already, I'd already watched four, five, and six, the nice resolution. Then I had to go back and get mad and watch episode three. Three. That's where you wanted me to leave off watching this show. So So you got to just watch it all again. I, I did a little like a quick, like summary like a pressy version of the of the show where i just jumped ahead to key scenes so i could at least like catharsis okay back to a normal release okay i'm good now so i'm all right good. just I'm one of those fan edits of like yes. pride and prejudice dark scene elizabeth scenes I watched, uh, I watched an amv i watched evanescence uh this should please exist i'm gonna type it in amv it's Bring not gonna be here to life. god wouldn't that be so good brooke 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 
I wish. I wish. Lizzie, the, just alone in her room listening to I Evanescence sh- and watching. I, ho- I ship it. It's in my canon. Yeah, okay, good, good. So wait, luck on that search, Austin. No, there was nothing there, so we're just gonna yeah. move on. Well, I, briefly, y'all like the first couple episodes? Is my understanding? Oh yeah, actually, yeah. I'm gonna tell you. I'll make it quick, please. I watched the first two episodes. Couldn't get into it. Mm. Was not that interested. I was like, you know what? I'm just too gay for this. <laughs> just too gay to watch these heteros be heteroing around in this Victorian period, mm-hmm. even though they have the plunging necklines. You know, episode three. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Watched episode three. I could not stop. I couldn't put the whole goddamn thing down from three through four. So in the first two, I was just kind of like, yeah, there's some things to like here, yeah. but this is not going to be my cup of tea. Mm-hmm. As it were. And then I had about 17 cups of tea in a row and then watched three through six again. So therefore, uh, episodes one and two didn't necessarily. However, the series as a whole, All it right. necessarily. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. The sequel, it necessarily. <laughs> My favorite Austin Ardent. Uh, romance. Yeah. Necessarily. Danielle hates setup and exposition. What the fuck is this shit? Let's get to the real shit. You know, as I tell Once my students, fight. you show, don't tell. All right? Okay. That's fair. No. Um, I loved the, I love it all. I love, I eat it all up. It's delicious. Um, I love it. Because I feel like I'm seeing, uh, well, this is just what it is. I'm seeing a version of Pride and Prejudice I had never seen before. And that's just what I did. <laughs> Necessarily. So uh, yeah, we left let's off move last on. week. <laughs> we, left, we left off last week with that moment when we see Charlotte Lucas come to the grim realization mm-hmm. that she should marry Mr. Collins. And at the start of this episode, we start to get a better sense of her reasoning and values. Uh, now, when I first saw this miniseries, I absolutely felt that Charlotte's lot was a tragic one. Mm-hmm. I saw her as the, uh, you know, alter alter version of Lizzie, right? Except right. that Charlotte has no uh, Prince Charming stand-in in her story, and she can't even afford the romantic illusion that such a version of marriage exists and is worth holding out for. So she takes the sure thing and marries a schmuck in exchange for a modicum of material comfort. Well, more than a modicum, really, in this world. But that's the bargain she makes. And I think that reading can be supported. But I also feel like Charlotte provides her own interpretation of her actions in the form of a couple scenes with Lizzie in this episode. Mm -hmm. And the first one comes right at the start here when Lizzie has heard the news. And she rushes to Lucas Lodge to celebrate uh, the engagement of Charlotte Uh. and Mr. Collins. But really to ask, what the fuck happened here? Uh, and Charlotte's response is really surprising for how pointedly Charlotte draws a line between her and Lizzie. Yeah. And I think in this opening scene, uh, where, where she's sort of confronted by, uh, Elizabeth, she makes a couple statements that I, that I wrote down. Cause I think they're really important both to understanding Charlotte, but also to understanding the way, like some of the ways in which Charlotte's story is also kind of a comment on uh, Elizabeth's yeah. and Charlotte tells, tells Elizabeth, I'm not romantic. You know, I never was. I ask only a comfortable home. And she also says, I am convinced my chance of happiness with him is as fair as most people. Um, Wait, and finish that line. Finish that line. As fair as most people can boast upon entering the marriage state. Yeah. Cause it's a broader claim about marriage as an institution. Yeah. Yes. Um, not just about Mr. Collins, right? She isn't just saying, 
I, my chance with Mr. Collins is as good as anybody's. Like yeah. anybody you married. She's saying like marriage yeah. is not about happiness, generally speaking, in society. Mm-hmm. My chances with Mr. Collins are as good as my chances with anyone, even someone yeah. who I might find a better, a more suited partner. Marriage as an institution is such that chances are always slim. Yeah. 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 Exactly. This was such I wrote I wrote down this whole this whole line too because it was just it was such a f- a fascinating distinction, like a, such a fascinating line to draw between Charlotte and Lizzie, who from the beginning, you know, Charlotte is always kind of in Lizzie's ear saying when Lizzie's like making these bold claims about romance and love and how she, like she will probably end up an old maid because she'll wait forever for the one. And, uh, um, you know, Charlotte, however, or, 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 yeah, Charlotte, however, is like, you know, this, like, there's, there's plenty of time to get to know people after you get married. Like, it, it's about fucking securing the bag and getting married <laughs> and, and then figuring it out later. But like, the security is the priority. And for Charlotte, for Charlotte, for Charlotte. And, and I think that's, that's kind of uh, when she looks at Lizzie's situation, I think she's sort of, you know, kind of trying to give advice and be like, you're one of five girls in a family that, uh, you know, you don't have a male sibling that can like, you know, uh, support you, inherit and support you. Um, I appreciate your notions of romance and love, but really you should be considering like securing some sort of, of uh, stability in your future, um, which is just not the way Lizzie approaches marriage at all. And I think it's so significant that she calls it the marriage state. Like it just, the, just what you were saying before about like the, the instant, this is like entering a contract. Mm. This is entering an institution, it's er- entering like a, a, you know, a state of of being rather than, you know, sort of the more symbolic romantic interpretations that we assign to that legal process. I, I had a both a very basic reaction to this and then a, a very queer one, which I know both of these are very predictable from my point of view. <laughs> However, uh, the first being this scene immediately was one of the first ones that made me sit up and really notice while I was watching. So again, I, I wasn't super into the first couple of episodes of this. It was like, oh, my God, feminism is happening. I, I must uh, pay attention. And this scene really, I forgive me, I, I know this is basic, but it did remind me of a, a scene in fairly contemporary with this one in Titanic uh, where the main character's mother is telling her, we're women, we never have easy choices. I'm paraphrasing. It's probably mm-hmm. something along those lines, but not having easy choices as she's getting laced up in a corset. It's not subtle <laughs> at all. It's the most on-the-nose thing. But myself as a 13-year-old watching that was very like, oh, my God. And I remember having a conversation with my mother at the time about this and about like, oh, my God, in the Victorian era, you know, women really, it sucked, Danielle. It was <laughs> not great. Things are better now. Like she had this very like mm-hmm. my mom as a woman who came of age in the 70s kind right. of reaction to it. And this immediately brought me to that. Era, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And my, my second sort of reading when I watched this episode the second time was that there is a, a queer reading here, of course, uh, being that, uh, you know, Charlotte is sort of representing how queer people had to do things 
back in the day, uh, it, you know, maybe a little bit before my time, but you couldn't get married to a person of the same gender uh, or, or same gender expression. You could not do that. So you got yourself a beard and you did whatever you could to have a family or to be stable in your life. And Lizzie felt very much like, no, we can do better. We can have more. We can, you know, kind mm -hmm. of. Right. The, be the idealized <laughs> is, yeah, a better world is possible even yes. now. I mean, for me, the thing that is so fascinating about this exchange and, and, Rob, you, you linked us to an incredible piece uh, in The New Yorker that was really useful for thinking through a lot of this stuff. Do you remember what, the, what is the name of that I piece? I have it here. Um, it's called On Charlotte Lucas's Choice, um, written by Joshua Rothman. Okay. Uh, really, really thoughtful piece about Charlotte Lucas's choice, about Charlotte Lucas's choice. <laughs> um, but for me, the thing that, that, and that helped elucidate some of this for me, but the kind of push and pull of readings here, the, like I think, other people, my initial thought here was very much like to side with Lizzie because Lizzie is the protagonist and Lizzie is is for all of her her uh, constant uh, judgment and her belief that she sees things the way others could not possibly. Mm -hmm. She's still incredibly charming and witty. And so you want to side with her in these things um, on first blush. Mm -hmm. But in returning to it and especially in reading this piece, I started to think about the many ways in which. There is a tension and a push and a pull on this stuff around the ways in which women navigate the this role, mm -hmm. um, and and even something deeper, not deeper than that, but but um, you know, aside that, which is it, it isn't just is Charlotte Lucas doing what is her best, taking her best option to live a good life. There is a degree to which what Charlotte Charlotte Lucas is saying is we are not limited by our marriage partners. This is a part of my life, but Lizzie, have faith in yourself. Believe that you will continue to be an amazing woman who can continue to navigate and uh, you know move through obstacles and find ways to express yourself and live a life you will be happy with, regardless of who you marry. And and that is like this very hopeful yeah. perspective. Yeah, that isn't that I don't know that Pride and Prejudice as a whole agrees with mm. at the end of the day, but it. It wants that that perspective. It recognizes that perspective as as a reasonable one worth worth putting at the table and in yeah. the conversation because it was the it was the decision many women did make and who lived full personal human lives. It just happened to be inside of the constraints of the Victorian marriage state. Yeah, I mean, I think that's so evident when you get to uh, Lizzie visiting Charlotte. At um at the the, uh, the Collins yeah the parsonage, um and uh you know I'm I'm kind of jumping ahead a little uh so we can wait to get there I I mean I think we, yeah we can wait because I think it does there's two things that the Rothman piece brings up that I think are interesting with the parsonage yeah. sequence so we can we can get to that okay um yeah uh. This and we should get there pretty quickly because a lot of what happens here is setting up next steps, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't so think this. I don't think the turn for Lizzie actually occurs here, which I think is evident in the conversation that she has with Jane right after this conversation. In which, oh, this is a key one too. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. In which she, she, as soon as you know, she finishes up at the Collinses, or sorry, at the at the Lucases. Lizzie goes home and talks to Jane and Lizzie's like, I just can't believe it. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. I cannot believe she's like marrying this ridiculous man. And Jane is like, like kind of sets her straight. And yeah. it's like, listen, like Char like Charlotte made her choice. Like Char like Charlotte was, you know, 
like did this for a reason. And Lizzie's response to sh- to Jane, which I think is is what shows the lack of sort of like I don't know change in in Lizzie's head is as usual. Oh, Jane you'll be fine. You will Mm. get love and money because you've like (laughs) happened upon this relationship with Mr. Bingley. And the fact that like, she still kind of reverts back to, you know, she, I, I like, I have trouble like sort of like unpacking this because I think that she has such high expectations for Charlotte and for herself um, in terms of like who Charlotte should end up with and who who uh, Lizzie should end up with. But when it comes to Jane, she's like, of course, Jane's going to end mm. like even before, you know, Jane had the sort of like. This development of a relationship with Mr. Bingley, she had all the confidence in the fact that Jane would fall in love with the person that she was going to marry, like no matter what, because because of Jane's character and her like sweet deposition i don't even know that she says she had confidence that she would fall in love what she says in that opening episode is because you're quite 10 times as pretty as the rest of us it will fall to you to marry well but love doesn't enter into it as much Mm. and that's when lizzie makes the declaration i of course am resolved that only the deep very deepest affection uh, shall move me so like i think lizzie like this is very lucky for lizzie that Bingley's a good guy and Jane really loves him. Mm-hmm. And so Jane won't have to choose. But this is a really self-serving framing for mm-hmm. Lizzie to turn around and be like, I don't think you'll have to choose, yeah. Jane. <laughs> well, until like last month, basically the expectation was Jane had to choose. Yeah. Because Lizzie sure as hell wasn't. Well, that Jane and didn't I, have to choose. Jane had her decision made for her because oh, she right. was the oldest and the prettiest. Yeah. And was to be thrown in the direction of any wealthy man that came to town. So that yeah. that was Jane's role. Yeah. And I kind of like that you do get that little flash of frustration from Jane here mm-hmm. where she says not everyone is the same. You don't make allowance for different differences in circumstances and temperament. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like – we don't get like we don't get enough time with Jane. I think no. overall in the story because yeah. Jane is an interesting character. But I do like these little flashes where everyone talks about her sweet disposition, which usually means you don't show what you're thinking a lot of times. <laughs> we get we get little indications that Jane is has every bit as critical and scrutinizing an eye as Lizzie, but just doesn't put it all out there the way Lizzie does. But this is a rare flash where you see the the daylight between her and her sister. Uh, where where she's kind of trying to point out to Lizzie <laughs> the degree to which Lizzie has a one-size-fits-all like morality and worldview that doesn't work in any era. It sure does not work in this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think they're my favorite relationship in the entire series. Like, frankly, oh, yeah. they're the most honest with each other. They're the most real with each other. Mm-hmm. I know they're sisters, obviously. Um, but it's, it's, it's really kind of beautiful to me how real they are with each other where they can't be real in in any honest way with the rest of society it's like this is where we let our hair down and we really fucking talk about some shit and that's really nice to see it 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 pulled me in in a way that again a lot of the scenes kind of made me feel like okay i I know we're doing this maybe sometimes literal dance of of (laughs) how people have to act in all these situations and all these manners and all these things but with them it's like Actually, what they're thinking and feeling, and it, really it's foul, very raw. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Which, which I think is getting so important because 
it is when when looking at fiction set in and written in different circumstances on our own, it can be easy to map our our values onto it and and in doing so, one, I'm not saying we should not think about works from previous times with our values. I think part of everything we're saying now is is influenced by our value systems now. But sometimes I, even I will look at a work written in a different time and be like, ugh, like these people didn't even have the sort of agency I have. They didn't really have the the sense of um, selfhood or or uh, the ways in which they thought about themselves the way we do now because X, Y, Z. And that isn't to – one, I'm wrong. And <laughs> scenes like this help indicate that, right? Without a scene in which Jane uh, and Lizzie can talk about the scenario that they're in and talk about playing playing the game the way that they're expected to versus what their personal desires are versus the, the compromises they're willing to make and the ways in which different types of people have different preferences and, and willingness to make compromises. Once you do that, you are showing people – who are who recognize the situation that they are in the way people have always been able to do yeah. to lesser and greater extents and and what has changed in time are the ways in which they have been allowed or disciplined uh, about doing that right like yeah. way including today like that is not to say that like the marriage state does not exist anymore that heteronormativity uh you know or, or that that you know enforced uh, uh heterosexuality is not are not things both here and and throughout the world in different ways like all that completely still exists and is as has modified in some ways and in other ways has not modified has not been modified at all <laughs> um but that having that sequence helps remind us that these are full people um, and without it, I think that the work is is weaker. It's, I mean, it's one of the reasons not to like immediately start bagging on, on the 2005 Pride and Prejudice, but like there are lots of sequences. <laughs> Hi, Natalie. There Natalie's are lots of sequences ready. like this <laughs> that are not that do not have the space because of the length of the film. And so you don't sure. get access to interiority in the same way because there aren't characters in which they can bounce. You can bounce that back and forth. It's lots of action happening and less um, retroactive like. Uh, reaction to what yeah. has happened and uh there's another word i'm looking for um like, like retrospection retrospection exactly on why and and introspection on why yeah. people are doing what they're doing and like without that you still have drama yeah but you don't have this this whole this holistic picture of people yeah. in the same way yeah completely um so to move through the next bit a little bit quickly, we start having some villains starting to become somewhat revealed, right? Uh, Natalie and I already talked about the kind of revealing explanation Wickham gives for missing the ball at Netherfield uh, that, uh, you know, he just uh, he just has to be honest with Lizzie. Uh, scenes might arise because, you know, they, they'd be unpleasant to more than himself. It there is- are beefs. It was so tell like this after our conversation that we had last last episode and and you know I rewatched three I had seen it last week and then I rewatched three and watched four but uh, when Wickham and Lizzie see each other for the first time av- after the Netherfield ball which you know Wickham missed because you know he would have been more inclined as to if there was not the presence of a certain Mister Darcy or whatever <sighs> the fuck. But what Wickham says to Lizzie when he gives his explanation, he starts off and he says, you know, but fate it would seem. And then he and then so quickly he goes, no, with you, I must be entirely open. I decided that it would be wrong for me to be there. And this is just like 
it it show it was like it was the perfect example of the con that Wickham is running. The forced intimacy. The forced intimacy. No, with you I must be entirely open. And you know, and 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 making and like just emphasizing that chain that shift by saying, you know, like oh, this is the thing that I'm expected to say, you know, oh, fate would seem I was not to be there or whatever. But he like cuts himself off mm-hmm. and jumps into the, the oh no, this is the me and Lizzie intimacy thing <laughs> where we have this rapport, we have this connection that I can just be entirely open with you. And just so quickly he moves to that. And so it just, it just yeah. pissed me. I was like, and pick up artists. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. He comes over for lunch. Yeah. He clearly throws a little pity party. Mr. Oh, yeah. yeah, you don't calls see, him on that. We, yeah, you don't see their the actual um uh like him hanging out and talking to everyone, but you see yeah. the every the Bennett family sort of like uh post mortem on, on, <laughs> right. on yeah, the afternoon. Yeah. God. Where Mr. <laughs> um, Bennett is like, How good of him to entertain us so eloquently with stories of his misfortunes. <laughs> Right. Um, We also meet the gardeners for the first time here. And they're sort of functioning as a little bit uh, deus ex machina in the story and not for the first time. But they're also clearly the favorite relatives that uh, Elizabeth and Jane have. Uh, They are are Mrs. Bennett's brother and his wife. They live in London. Uh, I believe he's an attorney. And they just seem very sweet. Uh, they're very nice. And they invite Jane to come to London uh, because it turns out that Netherfield has been abandoned. <gasps> Mr. Bingley has left suddenly uh, and may not be returning. Um, in the meantime, at a dance over the winter, we see that Wickham has his eye on a local heiress. And even while, like, it goes smoothly from flirting with Lizzie to, like, going hard at this. Mary King. uh, Yeah, at Mary Mary King. And uh, also over that winter, Jane goes down to London. She realizes that the Bingley sisters never liked her. Uh, They completely, like, freeze her out during her time in London. Mm -hmm. She does not managed to reconnect with Bingley and maybe rekindle uh, that, that romance that had been derailed a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then come the spring, the news arrives that Wickham is now engaged to Mary King. <sighs> and I just had this note, Wickham engaged to Eris, then makes pass at Lizzie. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. He is a you know, pickup artist. It's, it's, Lizzie, Lizzie asks about Mary and, and his response is, I wish I, you would believe, I wish, I would wish you to believe me if circumstances had been different. And Lizzie says, if old Mr. Darcy had never had a son. And that's the point that I'm like, Lizzie, yo, it is not like that that is the fucking narrative that Mr. Wickham has drilled into your brain that it is literally the fault of, of Darcy. Mm Mm-hmm. That his whole fate has been shifted and that he must chase the 10,000 pound heiress. Like, putting this, this circumstance, damn, couldn't be, couldn't be held responsible it, for it, But also, I still want you to be emotionally fixated. Oh, yeah. Just by the way, don't get over me. Right. Like, it's it so is such, up. God, it's such a fuckboy. Uh, is he trying to get in her pants? Like, 
No, Again, I think he's, I don't know no, 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 the no, no, ways uh, of the times. A little bit of that, but okay. I think also it's an escape route, right? Like yeah. okay. what he there are he has he has you know the the bird in hand is worth two in the bush. Oh, yeah. Mr. Wickham disagrees. Yep. He wants a bush filled with birds. <laughs> he wants thirty birds nearby, <laughs> and he's going to grab at them one after the other. Okay. And if he can get action, he'll get action. And gotcha. if he can get an heir, a rich heiress, he's going to try to get that money as much as he can. Yeah. Eggs in every basket. But if so he he's ex- playing the game, he expects things to break bad because he's because he's a gamester. Which is something yeah. that does and a not. Fuck boy. This is a thing that is not said in this adaptation, <gasps> but in the book, there's a revelation that he is a gamester, and therefore the uh, first, a gambler. He's, like he's the a first gambler. gamer. He is the first gamer. He is Milady. <laughs> no, he, the fir- is not, he is I'm not. He is a gamer. He's no. He's, yeah, he's I've, a gamer. No, he's he's, he's gamer. not in my gamer nation. He's not. A, you no, know, he's sir, not. He is selling. He is selling self help books to gamers. You're right. Oh, but he's right. not. That's himself. why he's at all the gamester conventions. Yes, right. he has a little booth set up. Gamester. Yeah, but he's, yeah. To, mm-hmm. like, for real, he is motivated by two characters. Like his mercenary ambitions do tend to become front and center yeah. in the story. Mm-hmm. But Wickham is also horny. Like oh, yeah. Wicca, yeah. Like, Wicca's he's a horny man. Money, yes. And he's out for sex. Those yes. are the two things. But he likes money more than sex. Well, he needs it more than sex. He like, needs that's it the to other thing. continue running the con in a real way, right? Yeah. Because yeah. he needs to continue to seem like, I mean, partly one of the things that he's running, one of the scams that he's running is he is he is playing the metagame, right? He knows that if he can say that he is engaged to an heiress, that actually makes him, if if trouble happens to yeah. arrive in such they, a way. If they happen that that, to break up. If that engagement falls apart, because things like this happen, of course, he will have, a, it's. it's he, he was already honest with Lizzie. He was always open and honest yeah. with Lizzie. And he's never gone back on that. Right. He, he has. She has no reason not to trust him. And you're, he has an inflated value yeah, on the marriage his, market. His exactly. Yeah. Notch on the belt or right. however he would Whatever his think of it. I don't know what the right. metaphor totally. would be for him, but yeah. Totally. Um, so. Which I, uh, I'm excited to get to Darcy's uh, letter in episode four oh, because yeah. of this exact oh, conversation. Yeah. Absolutely. Exact conversation. And we'll specifically this adaptation's way of. Uh-huh. Uh, showcasing that letter. So I'm excited for that. So um, now we get to the other part, and this is where we get to the other part of Charlotte's choice, right? Yes. There's the choice she made in the abstract, which she lays out to Lizzie in that conversation. But now Lizzie goes with uh, Charlotte's sister, Mariah, and her father, uh, Sir William Lucas. She goes to visit the parsonage yeah, and uh, see how married life is treating Charlotte. And also the way it's framed over the winter when Charlotte says, you will visit me. She is facing the reality of marriage. She's scared mm-hmm. and she wants her family to come visit. So she's not totally alone with uh, this unbelievable dumbass. Uh, she's marrying like, da- like David Bamber, just a lot of it's in on the oh page, my God, it's so uh, but much. Bamber certainly makes the most of, of what Austin gave us for, for a character. Absolutely. Um, I keep, I know, so, I know <laughs> you know what? I'm happy for the association. It's a good one. It is. What? Every Danielle time you say Austin, I keep looking over to Austin like, oh, oh. yeah, he did write this. I wrote this book. Uh, this in is 1802. Like yeah, this is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, if I ever write anything a tenth as as <laughs> smart and, and fun and funny as yeah. this, then I have achieved greatness, honestly. Um, on the Austin Hot Mike well. Mornings. Watch Hot Mike Mornings, where I am <laughs> in, in my most Lizzie Bennett, honestly. <laughs> yes. <just> judging. <laughs> um... Anyway, back to 
Charlotte's. Charlotte's. Now I'm just imagining House. Pride and Prejudice, like, but like in Austin, you don't like a mech for Pride, Pride and Prejudice. Like, and it turns and out mechs. this is the mech you yeah, needed. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so she visits the parsonage. <laughs> yes. Anyway, and Charlotte, she they get the full tour from Mr. Collins. Oh, with the shelves. And after <laughs> a full showing of the home and repeated, repeated stories of just how. Mm, like this. The fucking uh, like staircase in a pod. is my favorite bit. It's so funny. The staircase, Austin. I flatter myself, is eminently suitable for a clergyman in my position, being neither too shallow nor too steep. Fuck off. <laughs> it's so funny. Like, who not even thinks like, I, about he's staircases not even like I that? I built this staircase. No. He's saying, uh, which is like, there was no choice involved on his, he didn't decide, ah, uh, yes. It's, it's. That's uh, probably something Lady Catherine said to him that right. he is now um, the parroting back to. Probably as an insult because, well, like, and you know, he'd be happy to be condescended to. Yeah. Uh, would, would just like, she probably walked in once in her life or had been there once before he was ever even moved yeah. in there. I was like, yes, the, the staircase is suitable for someone in your position. And he was like, oh, I'm going to say it to everyone who comes in my house. <laughs> <laughs> Well, actually, well, he, and also that probably like, didn't happen because he would have said she said it. Yeah, uh, true. If that did happen, true. She looked. She and glanced at it. Yeah, that was enough. I don't know that he is a little dude, but he like walks like because he's always sort. Of, he's always sort of doubled over, trying yeah. to just sort of. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Just be just be tiny and ingratiating, and so to a degree, you're like, man, like he probably does think a lot about the the the, the sort of rake of a staircase. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also get in that scene. Um, Lady Catherine, <laughs> the shelves saw a closet. Oh yeah, in like- the parsonage, in the guest room at the parsonage, she saw a little corner closet, and was like, "What this needs is shelves." <laughs> and so Mr. Collins unveils this closet. By all appearances, the only closet in the room. Yeah, and now it's a cupboard. Yep. With really uneven shelves, by the way. This is the detail I love, is the shelves just appear to be set in there at random. But, but he's, he's like, like these, this is specifically how Lady Catherine said the shelves should be arranged. Mm-hmm. So it's like Lady Catherine like wasn't in there with a ruler, like notching shelves or whatever. Like, But it's, it just, overall, it's yeah. such yeah. a funny image to think of like Lady Catherine walking around this fucking estate and being like, shelves here. This staircase, great for great for someone like <laughs> Nailed you. It. Nailed yeah. it. Uh-huh. Gardens chill, I guess. Like just uh-huh. like happy thought indeed. Yeah, exactly. Um But finally Charlotte and Lizzie get some one on one time. Yeah. Yes. And Charlotte lays out what life is like. And someone wanna explain like the picture of married life that Charlotte paints here and the case she's making. Yeah. So uh I think that uh you know, she 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 walks into this sort of parlor and she just starts talking without like kind of being prompted. She just starts talking. She's like, you know, uh, she she looks out the window and Mr. Collins is in the garden showing the garden to uh, Sir Sir William Lucas and to her little sister Mariah. And she's like, you know, uh, uh, Mr. Collins loves to be in his garden. <laughs> He loves to be there. I encourage him to go out there as much as he wants. <laughs> and Lizzie's like, uh-huh. I mean, it's good exercise. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, you know what else? I also encourage him to go to Rosings as much as he wants. 
and she and then Lizzie starts to catch on and she's like, that's also great exercise. <laughs> it must be very, very good for him to be walking, you know, there and back all the time. She's like, yeah, she he goes there like 15 times a day almost. <laughs> and then she's like, and then when he's here, he spends most of his time in in the study. At the window. Yeah. He's oh, a cat. Yeah. At the window. He is a cat. At the window, uh, waiting to see if if Lady Catherine is going to drive by. And oh and God. when he's not at the window, he's in his in his study, you know, reading. And Lizzie's like, but you've chosen to come here to this parlor. Like you you like to be here. And she's like, Yeah, I like to be here. She's like, I often find that I go a whole day without seeing Mr. Collins at all. Damn. And I'm doing just fine by myself. And I was like, Charlotte, you fucking killed this for yourself. Mm -hmm. Like she used that little smile. I find myself quite content. Yeah. (laughs) It's so good. It's so good. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. see here from Charlotte as she's talking about, you know, her, the sort of time that she gets to spend alone and the time that she gets away from Mr. Collins is, is sort of what the piece was talking to about Charlotte's independence and, and finding agency within the marriage state and, um, you know, uh, and, 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 and finding a happiness for herself and for just herself rather than for her and like, I mean, She's like encouraging, you know, Mr. Collins, her partner to do things that make him happy. But it is also, uh, uh, you know, uh, in in the vein of of, you know, making herself happy, too. Um, But it's an important thing for Lizzie to see, too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, As as well, uh, which is one of the other things that comes up in that piece is that, like, even a bad marriage isn't necessarily like Sidney Carton going to the scaffold, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There is an angle there, though, which is like what Lizzie sees is that it's available for her. And there's kind of a kind of a, a, a in seeing Charlotte find happiness. There is an example made a template for success right. at marriage. Uh, even if it's an even if it's an unfavorable match in right. this particular way, right? But one of the things that like it bugs me, but it this is I'm not dragging Jane Austen here. Not every work can do everything. Yeah, Austen dragging Austen. Austen drag. Welcome to my new podcast, Austen dragging Austen. <laughs> <laughs> Which way is it going? Both ways. Um, Pride and Prejudice is not interested in people who are not of means. Um, it's not interested in someone who isn't a gentleman, right. whose marriage prospects are in an entirely different metagame, so to speak, right. who will not be marrying for standing necessarily, who who may, you know, and I think I think this book does gesture towards that. And I think this is a, a preoccupation of Austin's is like, if you're of a lower uh, standing, you maybe are able to marry for love in a more easy way because mm-hmm. you don't have to put your whole family on your back, so to mm-hmm. speak. 
Um, but they're also <laughs> your day to day life as such completely changes what the what uh, the marriage state is. Right. Um, you are dealing, especially in the early 1800s, with with wildly different things in terms of what it means to be a woman in society, yeah. what the expectations are, what the demands are placed on you, what healthcare <laughs> looks like, what service looks like, uh, who and who you're with. Right. Like the camera. This is there's no downstairs portion yeah. of this, right? I think it's just I think it's just very lightly gestured towards when you have Charlotte talking to Lizzie, um, you know, before she leaves for uh, the parsonage and is talking about, you know, please, please, you feel the fear in her voice where she's like, please come visit me. Right. She's like talking about, you know, wanting her family to come visit her and is like. There is a fear. There is like an apprehension about this thing that she's entering because who knows if she will be able to find happiness at all. But I think Austin takes a deeply optimistic view of, uh, of you know, she, she chooses to, to go the optimistic route and give her, give the women in her stories the, the, the room and flexibility and agency to find their own happinesses. And the thing that we don't have is what it looks like when you don't. And when you, when you, what it looks like to be in a marriage state where that happiness is not so easily achieved or isn't so, uh, uh, of your own volition. Right. The version where just like Colin sucks and is around all the time. Yeah. And is domineering and Or abusive. Oh yeah. Actually abusive. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Totally. Totally. And, and you have like hints of that when, you know, uh Lizzie and and Charlotte and Mr. Collins are all outside and Mr. Collins is like talking to I don't know if it's Lady Catherine or who he's talking to, like on the carriage. And he's like looking back at Charlotte and Charlotte is just like grimacing at the interaction itself. And you're like, yeah, that could be all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Which, um, you know. Which which have you, did you, so I haven't listened to the first episode yet, but really quick, I have a question for people, which is like, have you talked about the tension of not showing the, the worst elements of this period of time? And not lingering on things like abuse and misogyny in the ways, in the particular gruesome ways that we know were part of daily life. And the tension there between like, like, I don't want to read the book that that is like about domestic abuse. Yeah. Um, not never in my life, but like in this book, I'm, I have a more, and in the, the, the adaptation, it would be a much, my relationship with the, with the thing would be a different sort of of positive, it would be a, a thoughtful, critical one if it had been a work that delves into issues of abuse and yeah. domestic violence and all of that stuff. If it had been done really well, and I think yeah. that it's possible for someone who is as thoughtful and uh, precise as Jane Austen to right. render that situation with elegance and yeah. with care. Um, I'm not saying it should be off the table, but it would be a different work if it did that. And yeah. without it, and this is not, I am asking this question because I don't, I'm not settled on it here. Is there a degree to which in not in not kind of foregrounding the ways in which the heteronormative, the misogynistic, the like patriarchal society, like all of these things that we know were what the backbone of the society was worked to obfuscate particular violences done to obfuscate not, not only particular violences done to women, but also to, uh, you know, 
colonial states to to uh, working class people to mm-hmm. all of these different groups to indigenous people, even indigenous people, different indigenous people in nearby Ireland and Scotland and Wales over the course of of the of England's history, right? Like mm-hmm. there is a particular history there by which these people became the powerful people, and. None of that shows up except in occasional gesture. And I'm not – this isn't Jane Austen's responsibility necessarily to look beyond the, the gates of the wall right. or of the, of, the, of the estate. But, but it, there, for me, there is a tension there in romanticizing yes. the period because, you, mm. because the dresses are nice yeah. and the, the dances are neat yeah. and banter is good. <laughs> and yeah. like what is – in aestheticizing those things in such an appealing way, do we risk at some point also, you know, uh, turning our, our heads away from what the structure that 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 uh, that that facade is built on top? Right. Well, this is why I was worried I couldn't get into this at all. Right. Uh, and why the first couple of episodes didn't do much for me until I did get into these characters and did get into the the comedy and the wittiness and these these other elements. But frankly, I I am such a uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm such a narcissist. I can't imagine uh, a. I can't imagine the world without putting myself in it. Right. And in this world, mm-hmm. I would not have done well. Mm-hmm. This would not have been a good world for Danielle to be in. Uh, it was not a good time to be a woman. It was not a good place to be a woman. It was not even a white woman. Even a, even a right. woman of means of status. This would have been a, a pretty great iteration of hell for me. So therefore, I have a really hard time getting into a lot of period pieces. I have a mm-hmm. really hard time getting into a lot of period work. Like if there's no place for queer women, if there's no place for queer people at all, and there's no place for a woman who is maybe more masculine or does not, you know, completely conform to the idea of like a good life is marrying well mm-hmm. and having a nice garden. Like yeah. I I could not. I just could not put myself in there whatsoever because of these reasons. What drew me into the work is how well written it is and how interesting these characters are and how much they are in tension with all these other things. Mm-hmm. But it is a real challenge for me in yeah. general with this type of work. Right. I think that speaks to the fact that Austin is writing from her point of view mm. and that Austin largely writes within her worldview, within her social circle mm-hmm. and and you know doesn't really try to stray very far from that and doesn't try to write the experiences of of people that I, I'm not an Austin historian, but I'm right. uh, from like the works that I have read and from what I understand, like she largely writes from experience and from the experience of her peers and not much below that. And I I I, I don't know what, you know, Austin's take on the working class, you know, right. would have been because I don't know, you know, I just don't know what her under her like nuanced understanding of that would have been. Mm-hmm. So in a way, I think we get the deeply optimistic view from Jane because she also had like that optimism in her own life. Like she was able to reject a proposal from someone who she did not find herself wanting to be with for the rest right. of her life. And that's significant. Like, I think that the the fact that she went through the 
she she had Charlotte Charlotte's decision, or she had she had Lizzie's decision, right? Of of Mr. Mm-hmm. Collins approaching her, mm-hmm. and she she you know at first she accepted it, and then the next day sort of woke up and was like, actually, I'm good. <laughs> nah. No, no thanks. <laughs> um. So and then and then later rejected it. Uh, the very next day. So because of that, um, because Austin herself had a privileged um, you know. Uh, experience herself in that regard. I think that's sort of where this optimistic view comes from. Mm. I think also there's something to this production and choices being made by the actors portraying these characters that maybe give them a slightly better due than even Austin herself did. Like, I think Mm -hmm. there's a lot in, there's a lot of this reading in the way Charlotte, um, is portrayed in the novel, in, mm-hmm. in the exchanges she has in the novel. But I was surprised, one, uh, I was revisiting the novel over the weekend, and Mr. Collins is actually worse than you remember. Like, this performance has a sort of weird goofiness that David Bamber yeah. brings to it that oh, makes yeah. him kind of like, he's a weird, funny bird <laughs> yeah. that, like, yeah. inhabits these scenes. Like, you can kind of be like, I mean, he's garbage, but at yeah. the same time, like, look at this, look at this weird bird hanging yeah. out in the corner. <laughs> he looks harmless um, in a way. Yeah. Yeah, doing his funny little dances, just, <laughs> you know, hooting and honking all the time. And you read the book, and it's just nonstop, like, social, like, aggression in some ways. Mm, uh, he, yeah. He's he's a worse character in the book. And I think Charlotte, and this is the, the reading in the New Yorker piece, I think Charlotte's fate in the book is meant to be a little bit bleaker mm. than it seems in this. And I think there's an element of one, this, this production goes all the way with what I think Austin is doing with Pride and Prejudice in general, which is this is fundamentally a happy story. Fundamentally, this is things, things are scary. They work out, but this is, this is a comedy, right? Mm-hmm. This is, this is pretty light. Um, but I think, but I also think that in the way that Charlotte Lucas is portrayed in this, in this production, you see a lot more agency, conscious decision-making and like peace with her decision Mm -hmm. in the scene than maybe is even there on the page. And I think it's a valid interpretation, right? I think this is a way to say like, here's another way to interpret what Charlotte did and mm-hmm. the bargain she made. And I think it's one of the things I enjoy about this production is that I feel like almost every performance, the actors have really been thinking about the context of these characters uh-huh. and like what they would do in the situation and what becomes of them after the story ends. Uh, and I think that's another reason that maybe Charlotte seems to have come out okay in this is that this performance refuses to make Charlotte kind of a pity- pitiable alternate Lizzie. Sorry, I did a little laugh there because you said what comes after and what I thought about was Death Comes to Pemberley. <laughs> the Oh uh, my god. The the like, fanfic. Did you read the, the book? I did not read the book. I've only seen the P. adaptation. James. Fuck. It's a It's weird. It's weird. Really? We can't talk about it yet. Oh, Danielle, Later Matthew on. Reese is in it. He's Mr. Darcy. Wait, who's in it? Matthew, Matthew Reese is in it. Uh, and and uh, really? Anna Maxwell Martin is is Lizzie. And she, I love her in the adaptation of Bleak House. Uh, that was, I think it's a BBC adaptation of Bleak House, which if you haven't seen that, people should see the adaptation of Bleak House because that's in fucking incredible. Um, anyway. Good. Um, I'm just tossing out shit. Listen. Yeah. Rex. Austin, we got not, Rex. Like, yeah. 
Austin Dickens. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> we're going to talk about the Death Comes of Pemberley thing. Oh, we're going to need to decide later. Like yes. at some point, yes. we need to discuss the, the that. legacy of Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, maybe that's a waypoints just I, to be I, like, yeah. well, how do we feel about that? Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, so the other thing in terms of like alternate reality versions of yourself. Lizzie meets Lady Catherine and maybe I'm maybe I'm loading this, the, the deck a little bit by framing uh-huh. it that way. But like Lady Catherine, so far we've seen the Bennett family just be fucking mortifying. Mm-hmm. And we're like, man, these people are trash. Mm-hmm. And in some ways they are. In some ways they're sweet. And but you know what I mean? Like they, they're, they're, your embar- family, they're so they're right? very extra. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. 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 Like everybody. The thing that I like about about the Bennett family is. Even if you're an only child, you have the you have those cousins. Yeah. Even if you have even if you have a very respectable family, you know you've been embarrassed at least once or twice because someone in your family in public, at a party, at a restaurant puts their foot in put, their mouth. Puts their foot in their mouth or on the table or, <laughs> or, on, or a they chair. farted on a chair. too hard and they, they broke they a chair. Farted too hard or you know. They got into a fight with the waiter over some bullshit or like whatever it is. You're like, oh, come on. And I think that there is like there is a the particular characters, particular history, et cetera. But also there is something impressionistic about them. They just are meant to call to mind your own awkward feelings around family. Or maybe that's not what they're meant to do, but that is certainly what they do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But we finally meet in all of this. Uh. Lady Catherine de Bourgh, who's been this offstage figure so far, <laughs> that we've only had related through Mr. Collins pricing various elements of her home. <laughs> and That's finally, so they go to Rosings. Did you know the glazing on windows cost 6,000 pounds? Oh, wow. FYI. Wow. True fact stated from Mr. Collins on the walk up to Rosings. An excess of 6,000 pounds. Oh. Fuck. Or 600. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, God. Is it, is it 600? It's 600. It's 600. 6,000 is insane. Okay, that was insane. 6,000 okay. like, yeah. was like, wait, that cannot be right. That's a lot of windows. That's a horse. God. I don't know. That's IM Pay redoing your estate. Uh, anyway. He doesn't even know that because it's like. Mark the windows. There are 64 in all. 64. And I have it on good authority that the glazing alone originally in excess of 600 so pounds. He doesn't even really he know. He doesn't even really know. It's just He's good by my calculations. Windows. One I, yeah. times 64. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly it. God. Uh, so we meet Lady Catherine. And it is clear. First of all, my God, the framing, where they found these locations. Mm-hmm. Lady Catherine holds court. In this drawing room, mm-hmm. and behind her little throne, did you guys did you guys mark the painting behind no. her of herself? In a way, <laughs> it's, it's her, right? Like, or am I wrong? It's like a forest glade full of like proud, strutting, ridiculous birds. Oh, I'm Amazing. thinking of something um, else. In a way, yes. Yeah, in you a know way. What's, what's great about yeah. that she in the in the uh 2005 adaptation with Kira Knightley she has like a bird I feel like I just have this she has this like bird like quality to her where they do her hair like very tall and like yeah. just like like almost like feathers like coming off like like if when birds get like angry or whatever and like like throw mm-hmm. their feathers up or whatever. So it's very funny um yeah it's great. So she she meets uh she, she meets Lizzie and Mariah Lucas and Sir William and nobody is el- nobody else is talking. She <laughs> is just opining through the scene 
And then finally, she sort of zeroes in on Lizzie right. and starts asking, Lizzie, what's your whole deal? God. Oh, yeah. She's like uh, asking about, you know, what's your family? Like, who are your parents? How many sisters and brothers do you have? Uh-huh. And this brings like one of my favorite mo- like comedic moments of the whole series in which um she she asks her like how many brothers and sisters do you have and 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 Lizzie's like oh i have five sisters or four little sisters um uh and uh lady catherine is like oh and um are any of them out like just like almost like as like a laugh to herself like of course none of them are going to be out like you're out and you're not married so of course none of them are going to be out <laughs> And she's like, yeah, all of them are out, actually. So go fuck yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Lady Catherine is like, there's like a zoom into yes. her face that's like, all? And it is so, so good. good. And it's like uncharacteristic of the rest of the show. Like there's no oh, like, very few zooms. Yeah. Very, very few zooms yeah. in the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but to be clear, uh, out just means like you've been socially announced. You're out in society as an, a, a young woman as opposed to a a, a girl, a child. Right. Yeah. Um, and you could be young, that's, right? That's not, it's not like. Right. I get, it's not marryable, but it's. You're not at the kid's table anymore in society. Yes. That's basically it. Right, right. Even uh, though. You're, you're eligible to, to begin making connections, I think right. is like you're you're now like a a person person in society that can make their own connections and be invited to places Full like conversation. the fact that um uh you know uh is it Kitty or Lydia that gets invited to go to uh Lydia, Lydia gets invited to you know go stay for a few months with her right. un- aunt and uncle. We'll we'll get to that, but um you're like eligible to kind of go out in society and and do these kinds of things. Are boys out too or is this just girls? No, boys I don't think have to be out. Okay. I don't know. I don't is think Is there a so. moment when boys do start It's going like debutantes. It's like debutante balls. Right. Like it yeah, comes from all of that yeah. shit. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a different that thing. That when you can stop wearing um, shorts. I am curious what the <laughs> right, right, right I am curious what is the moment when Boys become men in that in that specific sense. Boys to men. When boys to men. Yeah. Thank you. Um, At the end of the uh, road. more of a Motown. But <laughs> more of a Motown Philly type of boys to men, man. Well, I think the the other thing that I love in this scene because it, it makes the Lizzie and Lady Catherine relationship really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. So on the one hand, Lizzie gives that information, and Lady Catherine's like, "Well, that doesn't seem." normal or good to me (laughs) and moves on. And there's this long silence. And then Lizzie sort of thinks about it. And then she says, you know, actually though, I think it's good (laughs) if young girls are out. It wouldn't be fair if they couldn't be out just because their sisters hadn't had the good fortune to get married. And that's when we get the Lady Catherine just like swinging her head around like uh-huh. shades of Jurassic uh-huh. Park. Uh-huh. Uh, like like sensing motion and she gives the my word you give your opinion very readily for so young a person. And it's weird because like Lizzie is the only person you get the sense that has ever spoken back to this woman. Ever oh, of she's fucking ever. Life. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And she's not like entirely mad at it yet. Because there for the rest of, of Lizzie's stay at uh at uh the parsonage, they're invited back like time and time again. And, you know, when when Lizzie uh is off, you know, talking to other people 
uh, Lady Catherine like calls over and is like, what are you guys talking about? She's like, she's yeah, like very yeah. fascinated in kind of like a very curious way of, uh, about, and she also like offers, she's like, Lizzie, like come over and, and play the piano. And so she's like clearly taken an interest in, in Lizzie, not necessarily like in a positive or negative way, but it's like a, a fascinating, like she wants to like keep tabs on her kind of <laughs> in a way that's like, I want to where are you going? Like, what is, who are you going to be yeah. in life? Is that, I mean, Rob, does that speak to what you're talking about here with the like alternate lives thing? Where like on one hand, Lizzie is seeing Lady Catherine. This is the person she could become if she marries right and becomes the kind of like host to to those in below her station. You know, she would, she would happily find someone like a Mr. Collins to condescend to. You know, maybe oh, yeah. not like a Mr. Collins, but, you know, a good, a person who she's like, yeah, okay, I'm going to make your life good. I'm going to make make sure you're okay. She could be that type of person who's hosting parties and is the and is the the snarkiest person in the room and allowed to be that. Yeah. Right? Like, that's the thing. It's like, uh, I almost said Dr. Catherine. Uh, <laughs> Lady Catherine is... You know, maybe not the great wit that Lizzie is, but makes her life by making fun of other people around her and talking down to them and piercing through them. She sees right through Mr. Collins. She sees right through everybody. And Completely. it's like kind of mean to everybody. Oh, yeah. And it's um, you can imagine Lizzie becoming that person. Yeah. Um. But 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 Natalie, you're saying there's also the reverse of that, which is um, Lady Catherine sees in Lizzie. Oh, what if I what if I had just done this? But what if I had just been an, more independent, less a funny spinster, right? A funny spinster, <laughs> or had yeah, yeah, totally a funny spinster, yeah. <laughs> Not that twenty one is a spinster. Well, but I don't. That's... I genuinely have no idea. Twenty seven is like old. Right. I know Charlotte you're is not considered old at twenty seven yeah. uh, right. to not be married, but I d no clue. Yeah, <laughs> I have no frame um, of reference. I I think the. I think the other part of it is maybe Lady Catherine was witty once, right. but she's been surrounded. It's like living your life and like surrounded, like just like, like Truman inside Show. a cotton ball or something. Yes. Yeah, or Truman Show. Like nothing ever pushes back on you. Your life Everyone's is utterly a yes frictionless. Man. Yeah. Yeah. And so Lady Catherine has turned into somebody every bit as ill-mannered and clueless as Mrs. Bennett, but she is rich enough, and it is because she is rich enough that has enabled this, nobody ever pushes back. She completely is like immune from getting any sort of feedback on it. And I, I genuinely think on some level she adores Lizzie because Lizzie is at least a person mm -hmm. and engages with her as a person. Yeah. And I think that comes through later. It's a scene toward the end of the visit to Rosings where she really tries to convince Lizzie actually to stay. Like, mm -hmm. why don't you hang out for another month mm -hmm. and then I'll take you to London and introduce you around there. Like, I think Lady Catherine genuinely is kind of tickled by Lizzie, maybe a little envious, maybe a little afraid, but like there's, there's a really interesting dynamic there. And I think Lizzie can see the version. Okay. So here's the other, here's the other reason why I think Lady Catherine is maybe like yes. the bad Lizzie. Oh, well, no. So mm -hmm. <laughs> I thought okay. you were going to go somewhere else, but go for it. Yeah, no, sorry. Hear me out. Also in this, this is where Lizzie meets Andeberg, who is supposedly betrothed to Mr. Darcy. Mm -hmm. And then Lizzie goes home to the parsonage and she writes Jane a letter. And she does what I think is one of the most disingenuous things in this entire series. She tells Jane, Jane, 
you know how much I hate being hard on any of our sacks. But I just have to tell you, Anne DeBerg ain't shit. She is. She And like, and what I love about it is, Lizzie, you fucking love dragging people. Constantly. You love it. Always. Like, you live for that does. shit. Like this, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, you know, I, you know, I hate having to do this to people, but. But. But this is the most superficial, like, like, I think this is Lizzie's, like, grossest drag because she drags her for like nothing about who she is she's just like oh she's like sickly and she does say like is no conversation yeah which is which is a little bit more about character it is a little bit more about she is open with like she's pale yeah she's like she's pale as shit (laughs) (laughs) and and so like that was kind of like I was like Lizzie, you could you could get yeah, more but, out of yeah. Out but when she's like t- she's talking to her sister, right? Yeah, that's I get the whole it. thing. Is like I she's just she's on private Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> she is just like being yep. as petty as possible. <laughs> she's just like I hate that bitch. Like that is yep. it. She's like it's on site. <laughs> <laughs> but this thing, right? Like now, imagine Lizzie with a ton of money and like fifty mm-hmm. more oh, years under yeah. her belt. Like she's out of control. She is Lady Catherine. She's yeah. being yeah. like, "Well, I think that sucks." <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're gonna, yeah, yeah, and she's so interrupting everyone around <laughs> her all the time, <laughs> just letting no yeah. one finish. <laughs> Lady Lizzie. So it, mm-hmm. oof. A possible future. A possible future. Uh, so <laughs> my AU fic where yeah, Lady Lizzie. Very good. Into but, this. Oh, go on. Yeah, I was going to lead into the, the yeah, new arrivals. It, it. No, take it away. Because I think the other reason why Lady Catherine becomes so interested in Lizzie is because of her fear of... I, I think there is a fear of Lizzie. And, and she fears Mr. Darcy's affection for her. Um, so Mr. Darcy and Colonel Fitzwilliam show up to to Rosings and uh you know Elizabeth at one point is like in the other room with Fitzwilliam and they're talking and this is what I mentioned earlier where where uh uh Lady Catherine sort of calls over and is like what are you what are you guys talking like what are you all talking about like I come over here and talk about it over here like I don't want to miss out on any of the conversation <laughs> and I think that when you said that earlier, uh, Rob, about, you know, uh, Lady Catherine inviting Lizzie to go to London and to introduce her to people, I feel like it's almost a matchmaking play by Lady mm, Catherine to right. move Lizzie yeah. away from Mr. Darcy yeah. because Playing that chess. Lady Catherine knows Mr. Darcy extremely well, right? That's his aunt. Mm-hmm. And um, they, uh, Mr. Darcy has been sort of, or, or rather, Anne de Berg has been promised to Mr. Darcy since their inception, both uh-huh. of them. Um, it's been like in, in the workings for a minute now. Yeah. And I hadn't thought about it before. Yeah. And especially because this is the film adaptation doesn't actually have this scene. And in the film, uh, the relationship between Lizzie and Lady Catherine is much more of like one upping each other and like very tense. And like, there is no sort of like effect, like the curiosity is just like, is like very negative. Um, And so in this adaptation, that, that uh, point is so interesting to me because 
I do feel like it's almost like Lady Catherine is trying to secure Lizzie away from Mr. Darcy and make sure that because I think she thinks that they would, you know, that 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 there is there could be something there. Um, but it's I, hard not to see it, right? I mean, yeah. this is like this is the everybody else sees it, but right, they don't. But they yeah. don't. Like this is yeah. the power of this season of everything leading up to the first proposal is that there is a gravity on display in this episode. I mean, there's a gravity on display from the beginning. It's it's just a, a catastrophic gravity at first in which <laughs> this this collision might destroy both of them. But increasingly, that that gravity is is one of being akin. I think seeing I mean, we're about to get to this stuff, but like seeing Mr. Darcy and uh, Lizzie together in uh, Catherine de Berg's home is like, oh, it's us versus them, right? It's like us versus the world. Like we we see through the world, right? The two of us, we understand. We know that all of this is is backdrop. We know what who, what people really are. We can see through the masks, and we are we are of a kind, uh, which is what leads to the worst misplay I've ever seen in anything ever with the first proposal, which we'll get to probably in a moment or two. Um, I also want to pause here and shout out. Colonel Fitzwilliam, yeah, the worst wingman uh-huh. in English yep. literature. Yeah, <laughs> just I mean, the number like he shows up and he first of all he is nice. He's just kind of clueless and out of his depth. He shows up and he's like, "Oh shit, you're Lizzie Bennet." Yeah. Oh wow, my friend has been talking about you nonstop. <laughs> I've been so excited to meet you because like. You know, I hear you guys are best friends. Like, you sound incredible. Like, my, oh, my, like, Darcy cannot, he just cannot say enough good things about you. <laughs> and uh, Elizabeth, not in her, not at her sharpest, I guess, is like, yeah. what? <laughs> and Darcy is not doing himself any favors here. Darcy glowers at her from uh-huh. the corner. Yep, uh, plays the wallflower. Yep. Yeah. But where this really gets catastrophic um, I'm skipping ahead here just a little bit. Fitzwilliam, uh, Elizabeth spends most of her time talking to Colonel Fitzwilliam because he is nice. He is easy to talk to. And Fitzwilliam kind of becomes the conduit through which she and Darcy can talk. There's a, there's a great scene where she's the piano with Colonel Fitzwilliam and Darcy tries to initiate maybe the first like cards on the table conversation between mm-hmm. them they've had where he just tries to make conversation. She can't do it. She instead deflects everything he says back through Colonel Fitzwilliam and mm-hmm. like plays this little interrogation game uh, with Darcy by turning to Colonel Fitzwilliam and being like, well, what shall, shall we ask him why he isn't, why he can't recommend himself to strangers? <laughs> uh, and there's a great note. I love that um, Colin Firth's Darcy nervously fidgets with a signet ring. Yes. Uh when he's flustered. Uh it's a it's a cool character note. But then Colonel Fitzwilliam and Elizabeth go for this walk outside Rosings. And Colonel Fitzwilliam, you know, when you're talking up your friend, you want to tell people cool stories about them. Yeah. That are like, this guy, this guy is a this this is a real dude. This is somebody you can count on. What a great guy. And so he tells Lizzie. (laughs) Mind you, think about also just think about what this implies about how Darcy has related events to Colonel Fitzwilliam. Yes. Colonel Fitzwilliam 
starts telling Lizzie Mm -hmm. just to explain what a swell guy Darcy is. (laughs) That Darcy of late congratulates himself from uh, preventing a most imprudent match by his friend, Mr. Bingley. Okay, here's my thing. How can Mr. Darcy Uh not be like, Oh, by the way, remember like that my friend yeah. Bingley who I told you so I was like I like don't shit. talk about that shit around Elizabeth. I really fuck with her and I might have fucked up her sister's eternal happiness because forever. Because he doesn't believe he did. He doesn't tell the sister. He doesn't believe he did. That's really it. He doesn't believe no. that he did. He doesn't believe that he did. But Austin, crucially, he didn't tell Fitzwilliam it's Lizzie's sister. I know that. That's I know he did. Thing. I know he didn't do that because I, I think that for me Having been in the situation when you were talking, up, wait, wait, wait. Having been in the situation where you're like, I really like this person, but their family sucks. Oh, and I fucking have beef with their family. But when I'm talking to my friend about the person I'm interested in, I am not going to bring that up because I want them to think I'm making a smart decision by going after. Like, all right, there's this part. I, I, we are. You have to understand. I really, really, really want to do this thing. But separately, I also want to talk shit about their family. Yes. Yep. I've been in the situation. So they don't sit down there and be like, oh, is that the one with the fucked up X, Y, yes, and Z as right. they're sitting I right think, there I think turning red? Playing yeah. Mr. Darcy in this moment, think I'm being smart because I want Fitzwilliam on my side on, on the Lizzie shit. Yeah. And I don't want to undermine that by being like, and her family sucks. But I also think <laughs> he's I also it's think a full what, move. What you were just saying oh. is so true in that he doesn't actually right. think he slighted right. Jane. Right, 100%. Because this he is, doesn't believe that Jane liked. No, I don't know that. I, mm, yes, he does. That's true. You're right. He and does so not. And so I feel like if, like, but that's then he's, why. But then he's a fool why, for not knowing I that. I know, but that's Someone why who, in the proposal he's like, and I did I know, this. I know, da, 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 I know, I know. And do it again. Well, he okay, goes, we'll he goes get, full Colonel Jessup yeah, in the we proposal, will, yes, by the way. We will like, get to the, yeah, the proposal's a nightmare. I love it. It's a whole thing. But, hmm. But yes, in this moment, Fitzwilliam fucking mishandles the bag. <laughs> just, I just, just drops I just, the I think bag fundamentally, completely. Yeah, Fitzwilliam is blowing it because he's like, first of all, even if it weren't about Lizzie's right? sister, it's a horrible story. It's a terrible my story. Friend, and he, the garnish he puts on it. So my friend stopped his buddy from marrying this girl he really liked. And Lizzie offers the out while perhaps there wasn't much affection in the match. Right. And Colonel Fitzwilliam. No. God, just take a fucking rope. Just grab it. Just grab it. Instead, he's like, no, I, I hope they were super in love. Otherwise, it would be way less cool that Darcy broke them up. Right. And at that point, Lizzie almost bursts into tears. Yeah. She yep. does the classic, like, fake the headache mm-hmm. thing. Yep. She's like, oh, man, I'm just overcome by these woods. I need to get out of here. <laughs> but to me, it is so telling that, like, Darcy can't bring himself to. I think the other thing is, I think Darcy is embarrassed to admit to Fitzwilliam that he fucked up Lizzie's sister's uh, shot at getting. Like, I think it's an I, embarrassing story, too. I, I, I do. I don't, but, uh, I get I don't where you're think- coming from. I don't think I don't. I, I we think should get he, to the proposal. We this should. Is, we have to talk think, about this. Yeah, I think it's because of the way that he skip. frames it in the proposal. I mean, there's nothing to skip. The thing to skip is that Elizabeth stays home the next day. She has a headache. She no, has a headache. To skip. I want to address this. Oh, skip. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ain't no problem. Um, 
I think it's because of the way that he frames it in the proposal. Yes. He's like, yeah, I fucking did both of them a service. Like, yeah. I fucking uh, he did. He does say that. He's like, yeah. I, I, I think I was like, honestly, team both Jane and Bingley in this situation and fucking did them both a solid and just separated okay. it before anyone got their feelings hurt. All right, hold on. Let me. Uh, okay, please. We might need to put. We might need to roll the tape on this. Uh, oh, we do. We should play. Yeah, we should the yeah. proposal because otherwise we're gonna get and just not all the over the place. Edit. What's the Cato edit? Wait. What's the Cato edit? Rest in pieces, Mister Darcy. Oh yeah. Oh right. Oh, Sorry. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the one you should watch. That's a good one. I I don't know uh, if I if I mentioned this earlier, uh, but I definitely did use this scene. Yes. Uh, in a yeah. lecture. It's that's a, amazing. That's a good yeah. scene. All the framing you, and editing decisions. Do you have the side by side proposal comparison? I don't have a side by side. I just did it myself. I just watched okay. them side by side. Okay. All right. We're gonna do the cut down version where. Oh no, we are not. So I think, no, I think it's, we it's, have it's to. four minutes long. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Wait, what's? We're not doing the two minutes where he just like paces around the room and beforehand and just like sits yeah. down and stands up and that's okay, bad yeah. podcast. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yep. You have to imagine he looks really aggro and like she's super confused. Oh, you've descended to him. Oh, I thought Kato, I'm not in this chat, Kato. I thought I thought uh, Rob, Rob had do you it. have oh, I've it? got it. I've, I've got it. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I will put it. Rob's in got it ready for us. I did. I have. So I have the 2005 one, which I don't like. Which is six minutes Send it long. To me. We're not okay. Because I want to watch right. it. It's in pods. Because it's All right. my favorite. Mm-hmm. Put All it right. in pods. All um, right. Let's set right. the we... scene. It's mid afternoon. Hold on it. Oh god, in the rain. It's mm. the fucking worst. Mm. I hate it. Mm. Hate it. Wet. Colin Firth in the rain has not done his hair today. Emotional. He's upset. All right, let's get. Let's make this big. Okay. He's make nervous. This... Yeah. All right. Not all his buttons are buttoned. Count us in, yeah, Rob. Well, he had to leave the room for cravat. Uh-huh. All right. Uh, so, five, four, three, two. I'm watching. <laughs> you aren't. In vain, I have struggled. It will not do. Oh. My feelings will not be repressed. You must allow me to tell you how ardently I admire and love you. <gasps> so far, so good. Ardently? What? In declaring myself thus, I am fully aware that I will be... Going expressly against stop the now, stop my family, now. my nope. friends, and I hardly oh. need to add my own better judgment. Fuck! Stop now, Darcy! The relative situation of our families is such oh. that any alliance between us must be regarded as oh. a highly reprehensible oh. connection. Oh, stop! Oh. Indeed, as a rational man, I cannot agree with myself, but it cannot be helped. Still, still recoverable. In the moments of our acquaintance, I have come to feel for you. Yes. A passionate admiration and regard which despite all my struggles has overcome every rational objection and I beg oh, no, no, no! most fervently to relieve my suffering and consent to be my wife. Oh, I love it. Twittering birds. In He's such so cases as these, I believe the established mode is to express a sense of obligation. Oh! But I cannot. Oh, my God. Oh, he just pooped his pants right there. I have never desired your good opinion, and you have certainly bestowed it most unwillingly. Fuck out. I'm sorry to cause pain to anyone, but it was most unconsciously done, and I hope will be of short duration. Get about me. Bodied. Oh, no. Don't wait for the door. Oh. Oh. All right, here we go. No, he goes, go to the he door. goes to the mirror is where he goes. He, he go looks at himself mirror. in the mirror. This is oh. a beautiful shot. You entitled dick. Huh? <laughs> Trying to find the words, but he's only going to find the worst one. This is all the reply I'm to expect. Oh. 
I deserve more. I wonder why, with so little effort at civility, I'm rejected. Civility? I wonder why, with so evident a desire to offend and insult me, you chose to tell me that you like me against your will, against your reason, and even against your character. Was this not some excuse for incivility if I was uncivil? I have every reason in the world to think ill of you. Do you think any consideration would tempt me to accept the man who's been the means of ruining the happiness of her most beloved sister? Oh. Can you deny that you have- Fitzwilliam! <laughs> God damn it, Fitzy! Oh, he's gonna tweet through I did it. everything in my power <laughs> from your sister, and I rejoice in my success. Natalie's point, right Which here. Him, I have been kinder than towards myself. Mm-hmm. But it is not merely that on which my dislike of you is founded. Long before it had taken place, my oh, dislike no. of you was decided when I heard Mr. Don't Wickham's bring... story of your dealings Wickham! with him. Mm-hmm. How can you defend yourself on that subject? And you take an eager interest in that gentleman's concerns. Who that knows oh. what his misfortunes can be and can help feeling an oh, interest Oh, yes, his misfortunes <laughs> indeed. Misfortunes. Yes, his misfortunes have been great indeed. And of your you can sweating now. You have reduced him to his presence. Thank God he said this. You can treat his misfortunes with contempt and ridicule. Such a dick, Darcy. This is, oh, that look of just like, what are you Coin dropping. Yeah, uh uh-huh, yes. I by this calculation are heavy indeed. But perhaps these offenses might have been overlooked had not your pride been hurt by the honest confession of the scruples which had long prevented my forming any serious design on you. I thought we saw through this bullshit. Had I concealed my struggles and flattered you. But disguise of every sort is my abhorrence. He's just a real guy. Nor am I ashamed of the feelings I related. They were natural and just. Mm. Could you expect me to rejoice in the inferiority of your connections? To congratulate myself on the hope of relations whose condition in life is so decidedly below my own. You're mistaken, Mr. Darcy. The mode of your declaration merely spared me any concern I might have felt in refusing you had you behaved in a more gentlemanlike manner. Her eyes right yeah. there. Yeet. Her eyes right there. Yeah. When she oh, delivers it's that. It's so good. Ice cold. How do they cut it there? I, I know. It's a bad cut. Not a great cut. <laughs> that's Fucking dumbasses. I know. Bad. But the, uh, yeah, the realization is how badly he has misread this entire situation. Oh. Um, it's, it's, well, like the, the read that he has is that again, it's what I said before that he thinks that she and he, that they, they both have the same read on the world, which is we've been, give, we've been given our various lots in life and we are choosing to be rebels. But of, of course the natural order is the natural order, mm-hmm. but the two of us, you know, it's us against the world, it's baby. Us against the world. You are above your state. You somehow have miraculously <laughs> Separated yourself from your family by wit and and brilliance and talent yeah. and beauty, and you know what? I'm gonna do a solid, and you can you can get, you know step on the carriage with me. I'll we'll help right you away. out. I'll help you out. But but uh, you know I think that you're I think that you are solid, and not like oh, other women. This is yeah. I was you're just, you're that one woman who's so much smarter than all those other women. You're right. not like other girls. Well, You're not I, like other girls. Yeah, exactly. They're so silly yeah. and stupid. I mean, I think more than that, it's the, I was just talking to, to Janine about this, yeah. and it was, the, the thing that she said was like, um, it's like when you are complaining about your friend's family, when they are, like, you're not allowed to complain about my family. I'm allowed to complain about my fucking family. You can't drag them. They are my family. Right. Like, I will come for you if you do that. Yeah, and, totally. And th- part, that's part of it. But also, like, he has done material harm to her family. Mm-hmm. Insofar, as her, insofar as her family 
uh, is the way it is, it is because of the material position that they are in. Because there are five daughters who have not been married yet. Because Jane was just specifically cut out from a a, a loving and uh, uh, opportune. Uh, marriage, mm-hmm. like all, there are specific ways in which Darcy has already gotten in the fucking way. Yeah, has um, inserted himself into her family dynamic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Do we want to watch the uh, yeah, the, can, the final yes, word the she final gives bit. here. All right, so we got the uh, the videos in uh, podcast channel, in and we'll start thirty three seconds. Darcy. Got it. Thirty three seconds. Wait. There it is. All One, right. two, three, go. You're mistaken, Mr. Darcy. The motive of your declaration merely spared me any concern I might have felt in refusing you had you behaved in a more gentlemanlike manner. Watch her hair. You could not have Watch made the me curls. the offer of your hand in any possible way that would have tempted me to accept it. From the very beginning, your manners impressed me with the fullest belief of your arrogance, your conceit, and your selfish disdain for the feelings of others. I had not known you a month before I felt you were the last man in the world whom I could ever marry. Boom! It's so fucking good. It's so fucking good. <laughs> God, just shook. <laughs> it, my guy has to walk away. Just absolutely roasted. Oh. And then it ends, it right? The episode brutal. is like... It's done. He's like, like, I perfectly comprehend. And it's like... Uh, leaves like bows, walks out, doesn't look back. She sighs. Credits. Yeah, fucking it, sit with that. Done. Yep. Sit with that. Yep. How long? How long did it take between episodes of when this originally ran? Was it a week or was it a day? Because if it was more than a day, I would have died. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was running in two episode chunks on A and E when it first broadcast in the U.S. So thank God it was like three and four came up together uh, to go straight okay. into the next okay. scene. Thank God. Uh, but yeah, it's <sighs> he just. He just walks all the way out on that ice. Mm-hmm. He shows his entire fucking ass. Mm-hmm. Just all the way. Pantaloons are down. Well, and the fact that, like, this is such a bad faith proposal because he is, con- like, he's trying to, like, he's trying to get away with all this other shit he pulled without owning to any of it, without ever, like. I genuinely like, don't think yes. he thinks he fucked up. Like, I, I yeah, genuinely, I which is part of why I think that this scene works for me in a way that the 2005 one doesn't. Because in that scene, mm-hmm. so here's the key, the key for me is actually the beginning of the proposal in the BBC adaptation. Yeah. In the BBC adaptation, in the in the one that we're watching, the thing that happens is she pauses and he misreads the pause. She, he says at the beginning of the of the beginning of the proposal, he says like, "I most ardently admire you. I, I cannot not do that." And she pauses to be like, "Oh, I've misread this whole thing." And he reads that as confusion because he thinks that she sees the world the way he does. Oh, and, and he's like. And he's like, all right, let me explain. Oh, she's like, how could you love me? Right. I am yes. below you. Yeah. And I he's below like, you. I know oh, you're shit. below me. He rushes to fill in the gap. It happens. You can see it on her face. You can see it on his face. And the mystery. Like, it's why the acting is so fucking good. It's because she communicates what's actually happening to you, the viewer, which is. Oh, uh, hmm. But on for him, seeing that look communicates something different, and then he rushes to fill in that void. The 2005 version, like I, I understand that lots of people like the 2005 version. It's I remember okay, seeing it at the time. You don't have to apologize to me. One, it it doesn't have the same setup, right? Like it it's not in a nice sunny uh, parlor room. A parlor room. With it's the like, sound effect. Can we just take a moment for the birds? 
The, I don't the remember the bird sound I'm effect. A good bird. No, the, the sound effect in the actual, not the 2005 version, in no, the BBC the original, version. Saying, I don't remember what is there the, is bird song in the background mm, of the entire first half of the scene, just mm, making it spacey and airy and gorgeous and unreal in some ways. Right. And it's like it's really intense. Like the mix is really intense. There's like no sounds yes. other than bird song. And the dialogue. But look how mad she is. So, so, but the thing is, that's the that's kind of part of the. So, can we just can I link you? Can oh, you man. go? Can yeah. you for me? Can yeah, you go can we to just watch the two minutes in the two minute mark the in evidence. the Pride and Prejudice two thousand five that I so the setup right, to this. Yeah, we the, have it in the podcast chat for you. The yep. setup to this is that. She and Fitzwilliam were actually uh, they they're like in church. Or they're something, in right? church, and Mr. Oh. Collins is giving the sermon. And uh, she's sitting next to she's sitting next to Fitzwilliam and Darcy's sitting away and she is like having a side conversation with Fitzwilliam as like the sermons going on. And that's where she finds out about uh, 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 Jane and Bingley and, and so here, Darcy. So I want you to pay attention to how they flip this literally okay. on, on the on its head. Right. So yeah. again, at remember two minutes. Yeah, at, starting at two minutes on this video, which we should put in the description yeah. for this. Um, the remember that the thing that I've just pitched on the BBC is he goes, I ardently love you. I admire you. She pauses and then he goes, of course, like obviously oh, your oh, family here's what's sucks. Going on. Here, yeah, like, yeah. Obviously your family sucks and like there's all these Let other reasons. Answer the objections you haven't stated. Exactly. Obviously you, exactly. you share them. Contrast that. Okay. With ready, Rob? Three, yep, three. two, one, go. Also, it's raining. <laughs> yeah, of course it is. Oh, and the music. And instead of bird song, is, instead yes, of bird yes, song yes, and silence. Yes. But she's devastated. She's just come to the. Miss Elizabeth, I have struggled in vain and I can bear it no longer. These past months have been a torment. I came to Rosings with the single object of seeing you. I had to see you. I have fought against my better judgment, my family's expectation, the inferiority of your birth, my rank, and circumstances. He leads with this. Put them aside and ask you to end my agony. I don't understand. I love you. She says, I don't understand. What don't you have to understand? Also, he shot like a puppy dog here. Please do yeah. me the honor of accepting my hand. We've got shaky cam so going on I, here. I appreciate the struggle you have been through, and I am very sorry to have caused you pain. But wait for me, it was unconsciously done. See, there's like dagger right, right there. Yes, no, Are it you? is. Are you laughing at me? Well, yes, you're right. Because you you're supposed to sympathize with him. Which, as you told me, hindered your regard, will help you in overcoming it. He's also much why smaller in the frame than he is. Endeavor at civility, I must repulse. And I might as well inquire why, with so evident a design of insulting me, you chose to tell me that you like me against your better judgment. No, believe me, I didn't. If I mean... was uncivil, then that is some excuse. But I have other reasons. You know, I have. What reasons? Do you think that anything might tempt me to accept the man who has ruined, perhaps forever, the happiness of a most beloved sister? You deny it. Uh, <laughs> he's just so he doesn't get it. Yeah. exposing your friend to the center of the world for caprice and my sister to its derision for disappointed hopes and involving them both in misery of the acutest kind. I do not deny it. How could you do it? Because I believe your sister indifferent to him. Indifferent? I watched them most carefully and realized his attachment was deeper than hers. That's because she's shy. Bingley too is modest and was persuaded she didn't feel strong Because before. you suggested it. I did it for his own good. My sister hardly shows her true feelings to me. This bit works for me. This bit works for me. Yeah. It's everything before this and it's about what's, it's what's about to happen. Yeah. His, his fortune had some No, I wouldn't be your sister the dishonor, though it was suggested. What was? 
It was made perfectly clear that nothing changes marriage. Did my sister give that impression? No, no. No, there was, however, I have to admit, the matter of your family. Our want of connection. Mr. Bingley didn't seem to vex no, himself about that. that. How, sir? It was the lack of propriety shown by your mother, your three younger sisters, even on occasion your father. They do suck. Oh. They do, they do suck. <laughs> they do suck. And he's like... You and your sister, I must exclude it's so it's messy and not in a fun way for me. Like, and what about Mr. Wickham? Hang on, I have to watch him smolder in a second. What excuse uh-huh. can you give you your behavior towards him? You take an eager interest in that gentleman's He concerns. told me of his misfortunes. Oh, oh yes, his misfortunes are very great. great indeed. You ruined his chances, and yet you treat him with sarcasm. So this is your opinion of me. Thank you for explaining so fully. Perhaps these offenses might have been overlooked had not your pride been hurt. Lean closer. Lean closer. Scruples about our relationship. Did you expect me to rejoice in the inferiority of your circumstances? And those are the words of a gentleman. From the first moment I met you, your arrogance and conceit, your selfish disdain for the yeah, feelings of others yep. made me realize that you were the last man in the world I could ever be prevailed upon to marry. They are so desperate for the audience to want them to kiss. I think she's pregnant now. <laughs> I think she is. It undersells their anger at each other. They yep. don't want to fuck right now. They're too hot for that each other. That is not what this scene is. True, it's true. It, that's I mean, not. This is the problem with the 2005 version is it's coming from the you want to see Darcy you want to feel the electricity between Darcy and Elizabeth. Yeah. That in a more honest telling doesn't form in that way. Well, Wasn't it, there at that point? So yeah. important to me that he is speaking and like whatever. I don't who the fuck am I? But like what I like about this scene in the BBC version, yeah, is that it is it is showing an alliance with the default worldview, even as he places himself above that worldview, right? Like he does genuinely yeah. th- look down on them. He does genuinely believe that. The natural order of things as such. And he he misreads Lizzie. Mm-hmm. And that disconnect is is the thing that they end up needing to patch over in the long run. And so starting at that point, instead of starting with this kind of like apologetic thing that he does in the in the 2005, yeah. where he opens with, well, of course, our differences in relations and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah that it is feels my, that's my, and I get, I get what here's, like the 2005. Here's my defense. Mm-hmm. It's sexy. I will just say like... <laughs> It is, it is, but also I think in the text, there's an awkwardness to Darcy that this rendition, like you can, like there's a, there's a reading of Darcy that like the signals just all get crossed and misread and the wrong things come out and he doesn't like, he's processing all this really badly. I think that the movie brings that reading out in a way that Mm. this version, this version of Darcy is just probably even a little more polished or a little too polished for the character written on the page. Mm. And the I think BBC the, version is too polished. Y- yeah. And the O five version you can easily believe is a guy who meant well, was completely blindsided by his attraction to a woman. He's supposed, he's not supposed to like, mm-hmm. and then everything just comes out wrong for him. And I kind of like that characterization in the 05 version. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I appreciate that the framing is so different. At first, I yeah. kind of hated it, that just just close-ups and just slight shaky cam <sighs> over the shoulder, like out in the rain, like, this is the raw version of this. I didn't like it at first, but as the scene went on, I was like, you know, 
I appreciate that this is different. I appreciate both. The, I, I don't think the actors are necessarily of the same caliber. I think Kira Knightley was actually amazing in Colette. I will give her that. She was fantastic in that. The time, maybe she had a little bit of, of, of work to do, but there are things to appreciate in that scene, and I, I, will, I will say that. And they're both adaptations, oh, to be clear, right? Yeah. Like Everything is. The, yeah. the, you know, so the the as it's written in the book, it's in vain I have struggled. So there's like the setup of him being silent for several minutes yeah. and then finally approaching her and saying, in vain I have struggled. It will not do. My feelings will not be repressed. You must be allowed to tell you how ardently I admire and love you. Elizabeth's astonishment was beyond expression. She stared, colored, doubted, and was silent. This he considered sufficient encouragement and the avowal of all that he felt and had long felt for her immediately followed. So like then yeah. he was a fucking open faucet. Yeah. Uh, he spoke well, but there were feelings besides those of the heart to be detailed. Yeah. And he was not more eloquent on the subject of tenderness than of pride. His sense of her inferiority, uh, of it being a degradation of the family obstacles which has which had always opposed to inclination, were dwelt on with a warmth which seemed due to the consequence he was wounding but was very unlikely to recommend his suit. And I like that, I mean, like, in other words, it's like localization that we talk about in video yeah. games a lot, that, like, there's no direct translation. Like, as Austin writes this segment, this section, there is a, an this moves into the abstract, right? It moves into, like, and then they have a conversation about this shit in which he harps on her family and her lower status more right. than his affection for her. And I like the you know like any filmmaker who comes to this work is going to be like all right how do I what do, how do I shoot that how do I prioritize different yeah. elements to it I I just end up liking the BBC one more because I think it completes the arc a little bit better and because it it reveals something about why they were genuinely a mismatch yeah the thing that I the thing that I haven't liked about other adaptations and about this style of story that like descendants of pride and prejudice mm -hmm. is when you tell the story where these two people, Oh, these two people were destined to be, to be together, but for a minor mistake, a mistranslation, a, uh, you know, a, a turn of phrase, a, but, but that there was something true in them all along that connected them. And I don't think that's true for pride and prejudice. They right. both have to grow and change. And so this has to be a genuine fuck up, a genuine mismatch, not just a fuck up, not a fuck up, a genuine, like, their their priorities are different. Their beliefs about the world are different, and they both need to change to find some ground. And she's already started that change with all the Charlotte stuff we talked about. That's a very, that's a really good point. I guess uh, the thing that I would wish is for uh, uh, Matthew McFadden to have Colin Firth's script. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I like, with you. I really like Matthew McFadden's, like, there is a vulnerability to him, and uh, I think he makes mix missteps and like and drops the ball and like but he but he's so obviously uncomfortable yeah but in a way that's like it shows his vulnerability a little bit and i think mr and i think colin firth's uh portrayal is like just so like stone cold on the exterior that you don't get a lot of the nuance of like the conflictions that uh um darcy is actually going through like it is all dependent on his speech and, yeah. it, and you don't get as much of like sort of like the bodily um like physical sort of like way of showing that and so i wish i wish it was like matthew mcfadden in uh uh in the, the 95 yeah, yeah. With that, just with I the direction the, even yeah i think the other thing that's really screwing the 2005 version 
is the 95 version came out before and you it, like it yeah. is the 2005 yeah, version is defined by not being the 95 version in mm-hmm. a lot of ways too. But uh, two things that um, first of all, apparently it's not Jennifer L. It's Jennifer Ely. Oh, uh, Ely. okay. Second, she's American. Huh? Which I did not know. Uh, <laughs> so that, uh, yeah. Um, one of the things, the 05 version, like the, the other part, the other thing that gets misread, I think, or Darcy and Elizabeth style pairings. It's easy to misinterpret this as these are two characters don't like each other, but to, to Austin's point, like they belong They're together. Faded, something real. Yeah. The romantic comedy like, paradigm. Yeah. Right. And it's why in the 2005 version, as she is just fucking reading him the riot act, mm-hmm. yeah. there's this like tension. They should kiss in real life. <laughs> nobody should kiss each other in that moment. Like yeah. that, you know what I mean? That, like that's a, that's a thing where it's like, Oh man, you can feel, you can feel the tension in that scene. In actual relationships, when two people dislike each other that much, that is not sexual tension. That is actual dislike based on real things. And I think that's what I love about this 95 version is Ely is not attracted to him at all in the scene. There is no conflict for her whatsoever. Uh, A thing that really, boy, my appreciation for the scene really went through the roof when I understood a few years ago that young women are inclined to express anger through uh, tears rather than like just blowing the fuck up. Uh, Mm -hmm. That blew my mind. And I was like, (laughs) oh, wow. So she's basically just fucking boiling this entire scene. Yeah. Um. Yeah. At the risk of self-owning there. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> you know, it's all right. Um, I think I think what you were saying earlier, Austin, that's such a good point. And it's in, you know, I think Faded Lovers is uh, uh, a trope that Hollywood tends to put on even the most toxic of relationships. Right. Um, and just like pop like pop culture renditions of of old things and um it's something that we talked about you know after the clueless podcast and talked about with you know in regards to cruel intentions into like shows like gossip girl and things Even like s- that when we talked about split and it's split yeah uh, split the, with oh, the uh other with what's the uh glass uh with yeah, glass yeah um it's what's love. his name and what's her name yeah them i erase them from my memory yeah i blocked out but, that whole part but i think it's life. it's such a good point that there's no re like there's no there's nothing written in the stars that means yes. that darcy and uh uh, Elizabeth should be together. There's nothing. They could go their separate ways right here. They could and absolutely be, they'd both be in their rights. They'd both be fine. And I think that um, I don't think Austin writes stories of fate. I think she mm. writes stories of circumstance. And I think mm. she. Yo. <laughs> Swish. <laughs> Got it. You did it. I, I I truly think that like she like her characters need to work at things and need to develop at things. And like you said, need to make changes in order to find connections in, in ways that there, that there could have never been connections without them. Um, So that was like a super eye opening thing for me, what you just said there, Austin. So thank you for that. I had to actually check and see if twilight was before or after that 2005. It was a little bit after. Yeah. 2008. But there was something about that. That was very like this type of framing, this type of cinematography, this type of uh, that era coloring, just everything about it was very like, oh, this seems a little twilighty to me. 
Oscar. And like a lot of that does have to do also with marketing and, and how that particular sure. movie was marketed. Like mm-hmm. the 2005 movie was I mean, almost certainly marketed a, a particular way versus oh, this yeah. 1995 BBC uh, series. <laughs> a well. serious adaptation of a work of literature versus like the hot romance drama also, of the season, right? Yeah, yeah, it's like the accessibility, like, I don't know, like I was born when the Pride and Prejudice 95 version came out. And That's how I felt too. The <laughs> <laughs> a second birth of a sort. Um, but the, the, I mean, think about 2005. Like we didn't, did we have like, sh- we didn't have like stream, what, how would you have watched the BBC a DVD. show? Or, a D- t- or VHS, or VHS. PBS was airing it one week, and yeah. every night after dinner, we like spent that that week watching. Yeah, different time. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I absolutely would be like, "We're okay." Special event on this week. Like that's how I watched Roots with my dad. That's like, I did like. Aired. No, I guess we we rented Roots actually, but like that style of PBS like, mystery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Totally, totally. Interesting. Oh, I watched different Star time. Wars the first time. Totally sure. I've when I, was I like taped it that five. way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. God. Anyway. Um. There's so in in the notes for this episode, there was just an interesting article I saw about um, there was a literature festival in the UK, the Cheltenham Literature Festival, uh, last fall, where there's sort of a panel done on reading Mr. Darcy today, right? Mm-hmm. In the age of like toxic masculinity and such. And basically, it was a panel where people just like unloaded on Darcy as a character and what he's come to represent. But the argument being made there was that, and I I want to sort of tackle it here, that Mr. Darcy is the archetypal uh, guy whose approach to a woman is via negging her. Right. Um, this is I a popular. Is a, this is a popular read. Is the thing we should say yeah. is that right. not only I mean not only with Darcy but this model of of romantic lead. You there is something. I'll let you develop. Well, uh, what I was I going to say kick is it back to you a very poor yeah. pass. I was like, I would say that is a bad reading of Pride and Prejudice, but it is a decent reading of two things. One, things that Pride and Prejudice has inspired. And draw like lessons and like outlines of plot beats from it. Yes. And two, a lot of the lessons that have been internalized by people who enjoy Pride and Prejudice, things that people draw, and I think particularly from this performance, right? Like there is, there are a lot of people who came away from the series basically just on Team Darcy, even at points in the story where they should not be. Yeah. Because he is so charismatic. Uh, you know, he it is such a good performance. Like, and so I think that's that's the argument. I think part of this is that for me as a person who came to this originally in high school in a literature class, there is it is hard to get your mind when you're first starting to read fiction to break away from understanding the world through protagonists and antagonists, thinking through whose side you're on as like getting away from that model of like binary thinking about who you as the reader are allied team with. Jacob and team team Jacob, right, the two options. Yes. The two <laughs> options that young women have. Exactly. Right. And that is it. That is no one else. There's nobody else out there. <laughs> Werewolves and vampires and they're both straight they're and both, that's it. They're both straight and they're both really terrible. Yeah. One's got a nice car. Which, which one? Oh, the vampire has yeah, a nice car. Have a good car. One... Yeah. 
One is a werewolf. It is a werewolf. And imprints. Anyway, we can't go this way. <laughs> and Jesus. Pride and prejudice and Ch- werewolves and vampires. Rest in peace, hot mic mornings. Rest in peace, hot mic mornings. Rest in peace. Rip. Rip. Mr. Darcy. I still have that video somewhere. Rest in fucking pieces. Um, the, the, what the fuck was I even saying? Antagonist. 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 I think, Rob, the thing that you're getting at is like, for me, when I came to this story as a teen, it was like, I have to pick a side and be on it. I am I am I team Lizzie? Am I team uh, uh, Darcy? Am I am I like team them getting together or them not getting together? Like what what am I who am I rooting for here? And I think because of the fact that it's taught to lots of like fifteen year olds, and because of the fact that its legacy has given us a lot of like stoic heroes who insult their love interests. It's not true about Mr. Darcy, but it certainly is true of the effect Mr. Darcy has had. And that's not on Jane Austen. Like, I don't think that the world no. was less nuanced than she wrote it, you know? Yeah. In a sense. I mean, it isn't. The world is is more nuanced than even she wrote it, but it does not often wield nuance as a nuanced weapon. It wields it as a fucking battering ram. And the takeaway here is this is what good masculinity looks like. <laughs> Have feelings, but also be rational and cold and like... Ugh, I don't know. Until you go swimming. Right, yes. So that's not so, in the book. Anyway, really? we'll, get, we'll get there. We'll get there. Oh. We'll get there. Well, it, yeah, it, yeah. Okay, and so that's where we leave things uh, with Mr. Darcy uh, taking his hat and going home and Jennifer L. just sitting there in Ely. Jennifer Ely and just sitting there in mute rage. I forgot uh, something I want to say. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> They're bigger than the 2005 people. They are rounder. They feel oh, like they are of true. means. And also, I think that the 95 ones are hot as shit. I would date them both. <laughs> Damn, I guess there's a new ending to Pride and Prejudice. We got triple married. What's good? We poly now. That's nice. Yeah, it is. It Pride is nice. and Prejudice in Austin. Yeah, catch me, catch me at Pemberley. <laughs> I got a fucking gaming chair set up. You know how Catherine Catherine DeBerg has like the big painting behind her. I got gamer shit back there. Check out Mario behind me. The true gamer. You yeah. got Sonic and Mario, and, Mario, right. and Crash Bandicoot. Wow, they're a they're poly, poly relationship too. Absolutely, Lord Austin the gamer. That's me. They call, that's why they call me Austin. I'm a gamer, like out of Jane Austen. Yeah, uh huh. I'm a gamer. I will never say it in my life. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Very that's glad. anyway. That's the last thing. I like the roundness of their. They cast them. They as cast people. them as re, like they're not. They're not fat. They're not me. Like that's not my body type. Don't yeah. fucking don't. You know that's not it. But it is not like the 2005 era. Like, of, of like, like hyper thin. Yes. Like paper thin. Karen Knightley is a modern model. Right. right. Absolutely. Like, she yeah. is. The way she looks. Totally. Yeah. And I'm not taking away from yeah. acting talent from either from in either McFadden or. The 95 or, version, they're lit in a very warm sense as well. The colors yes, are warmer. Right. Everything about yes. it is a bit warmer and softer. Yes. And I just want to rest my head on their shoulders. Nice. Yeah. You can get the sense of the fabric. You can get the sense of the wall. Take a nap All these elements house. of mise-en-scene make yeah. you want to take a nice nap. I do. I want to. Yeah. In fact, I might go do that right now, Rob. <laughs> Take a nap. Yeah. Uh, certainly, uh, w- there's a lot for us to dream about uh, <laughs> as as we contemplate the next episode, uh, where we finally we finally reach the real turn in this story. <laughs> As uh, a lot of things become clear, a lot of the the really crucial missing pieces of context are brought into the light of day, and uh, we finally we finally really get to know Elizabeth's only good relatives besides her sister. God, I have so much to talk about with this. 
Well, yeah. don't worry. Uh, you'll get you'll get a good Forget chance. about every turn we've talked about before. This is the real turn. <laughs> this is the okay, real so one. It's sort of like get you have to imagine ready. like there've been a lot of like small like little dog leg turns. Yes. But now we're coming up to the hairpin. Yes. Right? Like this Woo! is the thing that brings us all the way back down the straight. Like things pick up speed. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. it's great. We were zigzagging. Uh, we, are, we are entering sector three. Pew. And now we're I in it note, for the long haul. This shit on the BBC took a week before episodes, between episodes, when it aired in England. So you just got your credits. You get your credits. Lizzie's and rage like, crying. Sit with that. Credits. Sit with her being furious at him. And what if you he had? Or as I thought, or as I thought, nineteen ninety-five. Wow, she's weirdly sad. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Oh, Rob. Good, good. We all grow like Mister Darcy. <laughs> we do. Uh. That will do it for this episode of Be Good and Rewatch It. Our thanks to Two Mellow for our theme music. You can find that at twomellowmakes.bandcamp.com and follow him on at Mellowmakes on Twitter. Uh, you can keep up with all of us at waypoint.vice.com. We're on Twitter at Waypoint. We're on Facebook at Waypoint Vice and YouTube at Waypoint Vice. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Rob Zachney. Uh, Danielle, where can people follow you? You can follow me at Danielle R.I. Austin. At Austin underscore Walker, A-U-S-T-I-N. On Twitter. I almost said... I had to think about that for a second. (laughs) (laughs) I got really distracted. I started thinking about Austin City Limits. That's a different show. We're not on that. Entirely. Entirely. Give us time, though. Austin City Limits, A-U-S-T-E-N, would be an okay Jane Austen podcast name or something. If you're driving around borders of cities with a Jane Austen impersonator, yes, that would be a great podcast. Is that a thing? Austin City Limits. Are there Jane Austen impersonators? (laughs) Are there not? There's an impersonator for everything. That's true. Rule 33. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm, That's the rule. That's it. Uh Uh-huh. Don't Google it. Order 66. is not the one. Rule 33 is a different rule. Is it? Yeah. Oh, no. There are other... It goes up to like Wait, there are? Y'all, we've got to just go. Order 66. We cannot. Okay, wait, maybe 30, you know what? 33 might be fine. 33 might be safe. 33 like, fine. Is rule number more people should follow I was, 33. You know, I was is, thinking of okay, other what rules. Is 33? We're not going to deal with it. We're going to close this. Fine, the answer All right, is never mind. You're just ignoring me forever on the internet at Natalie Watson. Mm-hmm. Awesome. She, there, there she is suggesting people follow rule 33. No, uh, I'm not. I've said nothing. All right. Uh, if you enjoy this uh, this podcast or any other Waypoint podcasts, as always, please please rate and review us on the podcast platform oh. of your choice. Austin, I sorry. Uh, I uh, CNN business here. Uh, Todd Todd Leopold here from CNN business. Do 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 do. It's February fifteenth, twenty thirteen, and I have an article titled "Meet the Rules of the Internet," in which I explain what Rule Thirty Four is. <laughs> In 2013. That's it for me, Todd Leopold on CNN Business. Don't do Rule 33 ever. If you find it. Thanks. Peace. Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. <laughs> I think that's a good place to leave it, honestly. Uh-huh. Well done, Just everybody. Oh, everything Good outro. Uh-huh. Here's the thing. We couldn't do a, the rest of this episode because our outro would have been 25 minutes. <laughs> anyway. I didn't realize that there were actually a million rules. There are a million rules. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's one of the rules, actually. The rules are bad, and you should never fucking look at them. Thank you. I've been enlightened. I mean, okay, that's what I was about to, I was writing out right now. We have, in episode four, we have the letter. Let's take a break. Throw throw it a break, and then we'll talk through. Also, I have to run to the bathroom. All right. Let's take a break. break. If you want to look like a fancy gentleman, perhaps we have some wares that we could interest you in. Oh, God. <laughs> or Does maybe Backwell not. make a cravat? They should. <laughs> Great. Ready, so. All right. All right. So let's do the outro then for this. Let's, uh, we'll, we'll wrap it down that way. All right. I'm sorry. What was that? <laughs> On Earth? Can you give me that one more time? All right. That, who, what was that? You know? That was Natalie? That was, that was, Nat- that was Natalie. That was Natalie. Okay. I was stretching. Let's do a clap. Uh, yeah, let me open justice. That's what it is. Time dot is justice. Mm-hmm. Have you read um, Planetary, Rob? No. Okay. There's a good justice pun that's actually really good. Call a time. Am I recording? <laughs> I was not. I was not recording. There we go. I need a new time. Uh, 21. Woof. Good one. Fast. Rob, that was the daintiest clap and I loved it. Was it? It sounded was- strong to me. He just, no, I meant it was good and strong, but like he had like a a really good affectation a nice there. It was like a good flair to the clap. I liked it. It was good. <laughs> it was it was very legato. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. So let's let's get back in the headspace. Oh man, that's Charlotte and sunbeams, just like little kittens. It's gonna be it's gonna be hard to it's gonna yeah, be this is gonna right. be a little. Uh, we might not right. get it right on the on the yep. first bet, but um, okay, hold on. Yeah, let's do it. All right. <clears throat> Wait. Did you clap? Sorry. Ariana Grande tweeted today, it ain't feminism if it ain't intersectional, and I need to fucking die now. Excuse me. <laughs> Start right. with that. Pick a time. I'm picking a time. Sorry. Get our, let's get our vibes. 49? Yep. Nice. Did you get my Can clap? Can we do one more of those? Yeah, my clap felt was not That felt a great. full second off. Uh, zero? That's good. 
I'm just getting angry on the internet mm-hmm. now. Okay, let's talk right, about it. Maybe we should close the internet. <laughs> internet's closed. Internet's closed. Internet's closed. I'm closing let's Twitter. Do this I just have up things like I have, things from this series. That's I have great. Mr. Darcy on my screen. 